Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Hallelujah. I really contemplated what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share uh, in this place. And I'm going to take my time and kind of get used to you and you get used to me. And since it's a brand new place, if you at least every now and then just nod, you don't have to shout and throw stuff at me. But if you feel like that, I, I don't even mind that if you help me preach a little bit. And I'll probably rear back like a hammer on a Winchester here in a little while and preach if I can get some help. I, I, I like to say it like this. I'll be. The Bible said, "With joy we draw water from the wells of salvation." And I will be a well if you'll be a bucket. Yeah. Hallelujah, Amen. Yeah. And I may say things like, "You ain't gonna help me preach it." I'm not saying that because you're not. I do it just to taunt you anyway. I want you to open, if you will, tonight. I think where I'm going to start tonight is uh, Luke, the 13 chapters, where I believe I want to begin. I wrote a book, my, my, matter of fact, my last book was titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and there are a few of them with us uh, back on one of the media tables back there. Uh, but I, there's a chapter in this book where I deal with this a little bit more in detail than I'm going to tonight, but I just really felt like this would be a good place to kind of get my feet wet a little bit. But if you'll open there tonight to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, verse number 10. It says, and he, and, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Say 18 years. 18 years. And was bowed, to the, was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed, I want you to note this, on the Sabbath day. Amen. And said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. I don't know about you, but I'd have just been happy to see somebody got healed. I wouldn't have cared what day it was on. But how many religious people care more about how you do it than whether or not you get her done or not? Come on, touch somebody say, get her done. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, uh, but I believe I'd have been excited about the woman getting healed. But she, he said, and they, they, uh, they looked at him, there are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose? his ox or his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering. And ought not this woman, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bowed low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said all these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Let me read one more scripture before I uh, move, move on just a little bit. I want to read also from Colossians chapter 2, verse number 16. It said, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are the shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ, and that's from the New International Version. Now let me just take my time and unpack this. I'm, I'm, I'm like an airplane. I taxi for a little while and then we'll, we'll get going here in just a bit. Uh, 
But uh, I, I preach from a prophetic place. I see stuff in scriptures that just kind of come alive to me and give me a way to say some stuff. Uh, the book that I wrote called Unforced Rhythms of Grace literally comes from uh, the viewpoint. What I did in the book is I took every one of the miracles that Jesus did, almost everything he did, not all the miracles, but a great deal of them. If you've ever noticed, he did it on the Sabbath day. He did more stuff on the Sabbath day than probably any other day of the week. Now, how many know that it's really not talking about... When I think about the Sabbath day, especially in the light of what I just read to you from the book of Colossians, I'm thinking not in terms of, you know, that it's a certain day of the week and you can't, you know, you can't, you know, do any kind of work on it. What I'm thinking is that it speaks to me of the place of rest. So he does more from the posture or position of rest... Come on with me just a little bit. He does, every, he does a lot of stuff from the position of rest. You know, one of the scriptures that just really popped out to me recently was uh, Jesus gave a parable. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed in his field and then went to bed. And the Holy Spirit told me the other day, he said, just keep selling kingdom seed and, and go to bed. I said, that sounds good to me. Hallelujah. In other words, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. But really, what's saying more than go to bed and become a cast between is saying, when you put the seed in, put the trust in the seed that you're planting, and then rest in the ability of the seed to produce what God, come on, intended it for. Of course, you can't just plant any kind of seed. You've got to plant some kingdom seed. And there's not a whole lot of, of kingdom seed being planted. Matter of fact, a lot of times when you say the kingdom, most people think that means where you're going to go when you die. And I do believe that if you die, you're going to go to heaven. I just believe the kingdom is not just on the other side of the grave. I believe the moment I got born again, I got translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I believe I'm a citizen right now and an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. With delegated authority to operate kingdom business in the earth. Hallelujah. So when I begin to see that Jesus, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that he did on the Sabbath day, but the one I really want to, uh, I felt like the Lord just dropped in my heart for this tonight was this woman bowed to the earth. And again, let me just take my time and, and unpack why I think like this. When I see scriptures like this, I know that from my Bible school background that there is a historical grammatical view, and we could preach this and come out of this thing and say, Jesus is a healer. And I truly believe that with everything that's in me, and that's pretty much there. You can see that without any kind of revelation. It's pretty well on the surface. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? That Jesus healed a woman. He really did this on a Sabbath day. But to me, it prophetically speaks a little bit deeper. If you want to dig for the hungry seeker, truth comes line upon line. Line upon line. He repeats it. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. In other words, there is a surface line if you're satisfied with that. And the sad thing is, in today's church, you can't get people to church long enough to teach them anything to see the line. There's another line underneath of that line. If you could get them there two or three nights, you might could build something. Come on. That's why I'm excited about you being here tonight. Hallelujah. But there's another line underneath the surface here. Because when I see this woman who's bowed to the earth, what it speaks to me prophetically is it speaks to me of the condition of the church if it's not functioning from the viewpoint of the Sabbath. Say it another way. If it's not looking at things from the viewpoint of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
See, I believe everything that we preach must come through the filter of the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people trying to circumvent the cross right now. But I'm telling you, I still believe in the power of the cross. And I believe it's not just arbitrary. I believe you must apply the blood. Come on, somebody. Matter of fact, when God got ready to touch and bring, the, I feel the preacher sneaking up on me already. I feel that little jerk get on me. I feel like something hits me right here and down at the bottom and the middle won't move, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I believe when he told them, he said, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt. And I want you to take the blood of a spotless lamb. And I want you to apply the blood to the doorpost of your house. A lot of people try to circumvent the fact that you need to apply the blood. But how many know that if you apply the blood, you put the blood on the doorpost, you put the blood on the doorpost of the house, but not just the blood on the doorpost. You take that lamb inside the house in the night, roast with fire, and you get enough lamb in your belly, and about midnight, in the middle of your darkest hour, when it seemed like everything is not going good, about midnight, something will hit you that says, I got too much lamb in my belly. I can't live in this bondage anymore. Come on, somebody. And you'll get up out of whatever kind of bondage you're in. I don't care if it's religious bondage. I don't care if it's bondage to sin or the world. I'm telling you, you get enough lamb in your belly and apply it, it will begin to cause you to change. When I think about entering into rest, I don't think about becoming a spiritual couch potato. I think about coming to a revelation of what he's already done. How many of the reason God rested was because the work was finished? Hallelujah. I said the reason God rested was because the work was finished. He rested on the Sabbath day. And, I, you know, I, I feel so much in me tonight I hardly know where to plug in here. But I, I think about John in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1 he said, I got in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I think you could kind of connect that with the whole idea of the Sabbath again, the Lord's day or the day of the Lord, the Lord's day especially. Uh, I believe it really was dealing with the day of atonement, but that was a multiple of Sabbaths as well. But when John got in the spirit, he said, I heard a voice. He said, I was on an island. I was on an island called Patmos. Do you know that the word Patmos, the word Patmos means my killing. He was on an island called my killing to get a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me a minute. The word, uh, he said, I was there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. Let me just say this to you. Here's John, the revelator. He's on an island called My Killing to get a revelation. See the book of Revelation. Man, I don't know how I got over on the book of Revelation here. That's real dangerous for me. But the, see, to me, the word, even the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypse or apocalypsis. And we've let Hollywood define what that means to us. But really, it's, we, we think about bombs bursting in the air and bugs as big as Volkswagens and Godzilla monsters coming up out the ocean, everything you can imagine from that book. But really, the word apocalypse means to uncover or to unveil. Now stay with me a moment. The title of the book of Revelation is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's unveiling is not bugs as big as Volkswagens. What he wants to uncover is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And see, a revelation of Jesus Christ to you will produce a revelation of Jesus Christ through you. 
65 books of the Bible, we have to kind of figure out what they're about, but we get to the book of Revelation, and this one tells you right up front what it's about. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's the only book of the Bible we don't preach Jesus from. Oh, I, may be, I better get off of Revelation because it's getting awful quiet here. We preach USA Today, CNN, Fox News, and everything else. I think, I think if this book starts, it says, see, I started teaching Jesus from the book of Revelation. You know why? Because it's the title of the book. And if that's the title of the book, then it's got to have something to do with Jesus. So here's John on an island called My Killing. And, he, and, and he's there to get a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus Christ. But what really got me is, is that I used to preach it from my old days in the days when everything was about suffering, thinking, you know, God wanted to pull me through a knothole backwards and... Uh, you know, the more I suffered, the better off I was. I kind of changed a whole lot of thinking about that. Matter of fact, I got a buddy that used to preach, and you, matter of fact, he played the trumpet for Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller. Some of you old enough to know who that is in here. I preached in some class, I didn't even know who that, that is, but he played the trumpet for those guys. And he told me one day, he said, Brother, he, said, he was real concerned, had a great church in Houston. And he said to me, he said, Lynn, he said, I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'm a son. And I said, Charlie, his name was Charlie. I said, Charlie, if you're not a son, I don't have a chance because I think you glow in the dark, dude. And I said, man, what in the world would make you think you're not a son or part of the elect? He said, well, and he looked at me like he was going to tell me a real deep secret. He said, I thought he was going to tell me some sin he'd done. He says, I'm not suffering. He said, I'm not suffering. I said, not suffering. And that makes you think. It. He said, yeah. He said, everybody else is preaching the more you suffer. You know, the more God's trying to kill you, perfection. Well, it's quiet in here. I'm going to work on it. Would you say, just stay with me a minute. And so Charlie says to me, man, I'm concerned. I said, I don't think I'm part of the elect. He said, I was walking my dog. I said, what about you? And he said, man, the, the church is going good. Me and the wife are getting along. The kids are behaving. Finances are good. My health is good. He said, I'm real concerned. I'm he said, man, I was walking my dog and he had a great day. And he said, about that time, thunder pealed and lightning pierced the sky. And he said, that great day took off running, throwed me down over the curb there in Houston. He said, it broke my collarbone, disloaded, dislocated my shoulder. He said, I laid there on the ground and said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> now, that's just the dumb in kingdom. And if Charlie was alive today, he would say amen to that. But what I begin to see is I looked into this, and I'm trying to get back here to this woman bowed to the earth. But when John was on an island called My Killing, watch this. He said, I heard a voice behind me. I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. Now watch this. He's on an island called My Killing. And he's there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the word testimony there is the Greek word martyr. He said, I was there, I love this, to get a revelation of the death of Christ and what his martyrdom produced. And he said, what I did was I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. Now, if you know anything about trumpets in the Old Testament, uh, most of the time a trumpet was a long, loud blast through a ram's horn. And a ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. Come on, help me a little bit. In other words, John said, I was on an island called my killing to get a revelation of the martyrdom or the death of Jesus. 
And I, I heard a voice behind me, and it was coming through a ram's horn. It was coming through the death of a male lamb. And he said, when I heard this voice like a trumpet behind me, I turned to see the voice. And what he began to realize is, listen, he said, I heard this voice behind me. What he found out is my killing is not in my future. My killing is behind me. I was crucified with Christ. Come on, somebody. Nevertheless, I live. Now, I believe the application of that death in our life as we apply it, come on, somebody, is when I realize I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. Come on. I'm not an old man having a behavior modification. I'm a new creation in Christ with the power of resurrection operating in my life right now. I believe that when, when, you know, to me, I think of the power of when Jesus stepped up to the tomb of Lazarus and he reared back and said, Lazarus, come forth. He said, roll the stone away. First of all, to me, that speaks of the stone of the law because what happens is when you roll the law out of the picture, you're not rolling the stone of the law out of the picture so that dead, stinking flesh can get loose. You are opening that tomb so the power of resurrection can be released. I believe inside of us tonight is not an old man trying to get a behavior modification. It's a new man learning to walk in the power of resurrection. And in order to do that, we're going to have to get on the day of the Lord. We're going to have to come into a Sabbath and realize Jesus already did some stuff. That's brought me into a rest where I can count on what He did was enough and step into the reality of living out of that. Is that all right? Now, let me see if I can work this patch a little bit more. Let me get a drink here because I hate a dry preacher. <laughs> and that's about eight ounces. I get about an hour to eight ounces, so that'll work just right, right? <laughs> this woman to me, again, speaks of the church. She has been bowed over to the realm of the earth. She's looking down, and she's been bowed to the earth for 18 years. She can in no wise lift up herself. Of course, it doesn't help that these scribes and Pharisees would do more for animals than they would do for people. What's amazing to me is Jesus said, wouldn't a man on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass and take him away to watering? In other words, these religious folks cared more about animals than they did about God's people. They cared more about their rules than they did the power of resurrection. I have to just... This woman was bowed to the earth, and she was looking. In other words, the realm of the dust was all she could see. All she knew was looking in this direction. How many know a lot of times we've been taught to talk about how bad it is? We connect with people over uh, how long the line is, how bad the traffic is, what the economy's doing, how big the devil is. I, I, I'm going to take my time here tonight. I can't help but think, when I first met Alan, I was probably telling this a little bit, but I grew up in classical Pentecost under what I call terrorist preachers. <laughs> now let me be clear for the camera. And I'm not talking about strap a bomb to yourself. I'm talking about the kind of preachers that every time you walk through the door scare you to death. I mean, I'd be excited about revival, and these dudes would come in and look like they must have picked a fight with their wife on the way to church just to get their game face on because they looked like they was mad and mean. And then they pulled their pants about midway up their chest. Preacher looked like he just fell off the cover of Forbes magazine. His wife looked like Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies. She had a PhD. That's a Pentecostal hairdo. 
My mama had one for years, and when the Holy Ghost would hit her, them bobby pins would snap out of her hair. Be smacking the wall. You'd have to put a sign up in the lobby when the Holy Ghost would move, but you could be hit by flying objects. My mom would get a jerk on her. Hallelujah. I still get a jerk on me every now and then. I like how it feels. Hallelujah. Still a little bit Pentecostal. I don't despise my Pentecostal roots. But them dudes had come in and bless their hearts. They did the best they could with what they knew. I'd be excited about revival. They pulled their pants about midway up their chest and they pulled their glasses down on their nose like that. And they'd say, you want me to name sin? I'm going to name it for you tonight. You got to hack when you do that because it always makes it. <laughs> Some of you got a hell of vision set up in your living room. Devil's horns on your roof. You women come in here with makeup on your Jezebel face. You got head levelers on your head. You eating deviled ham, deviled food cake, deviled eggs. And you wonder why God, you got to stretch God out. God ain't moving in the church. It's because there's sin in the camp. And we ain't going nowhere until we get the sin out the camp and we preached man on stuff that wasn't even in the Bible and, and by the time they got done preaching against stuff I'm thinking to myself I thought I was saved when this revival started but I've got some real doubts now because if you think devil food cake going to take me to hell hallelujah that's the least of my problems I was telling them down there man I can remember the day we shot the television set Shot it in cold blood out behind the barn. And I said to my pastor, can't we just sell the television set to the neighbor? He said, if it's going to take you to hell, why you want to sell it to your neighbor? <laughs> but I'm telling you, everything was a sin. But you say, what's the point? What that was doing was it was making me bow to the earth. In other words, I couldn't see the work of Christ. I couldn't see what... I, nobody ever told me I was a new preacher. Everybody always told me who I was in Adam 30 years ago. Ago. The Spirit of God spoke to me on the way to Florida. He said, you've got to decide who you're preaching to. I said, what do you mean, Lord, who I'm preaching to? He said, you're either going to preach to the old man and try to modify his behavior by giving him an old covenant, or you're going to preach to the new man and build him up and edify him and mature him by preaching the new covenant and bringing him out of the realm of dust and look into the heavens and see who I said they are. I want you to bring them to a revelation of who they are. See, that's what I'm telling you. Jesus comes, and even in the midst of this healing, he says, Ought not this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, he began to appeal to her identity and to her covenant rights. Hallelujah. Because God is a covenant partner that will always honor his word above his name. He keeps his word even when it's not what he wants to do. Hallelujah. But he was made to look into the realm of the dust. We would, you know, we would look always. It was always. I'm telling you, I got saved every Sunday. And sometimes I would give him a midweek courtesy dip. Because they talked me out of my salvation. And then I'd come in the final, the Sunday when I felt like I have kept the rules. I have not touched a Coca-Cola. I've not even watched Ted Koppel on the news. No devil's food cake has graced my lips. 
I'm saved and blessed God. I don't have to go to the altar this morning and them rascals would come up with a new sin. Because we measured success by how many heads we got in the altar. Now, I'm not against altar services. Please don't hear that. But when you've got to talk people out of their salvation so you can leave there and brag that 150 people got saved in your meeting, but you don't tell them it's the same 150 people got saved the last time you was there. Then you're not building anybody up to where they can walk in the face. See, sometimes I think it's real successful when you try to put condemnation and guilt on people. And they say, I'm not responding to that altar call. I'm saved. I know that I am. Hallelujah. I'm a daughter or son of Abraham. And I've been born from above. And, and hallelujah. It's not that I don't need sometimes to go to the altar. I'm just trying to say sometimes my faith has come to the place where I believe I'm saved. Yeah. Come on, somebody. I said, I'm a believer. Listen, I said in church, and they would tell me. They, they, they said, and, and, and we, you know, we sat under that legalism, and people would say to me when we go to town, well, what do you all believe up at that church? I said, well, we don't believe that women should cut their hair. We don't believe that you should eat devil's food cake. We don't believe. You should watch television. We don't believe. We don't believe. And I realized while I was telling them what we don't believe, I had said in church the biggest part of my life and I've become an unbeliever. Because they never taught me anything to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But the word, the Greek word for where the hearing by the word of God there, the Greek word God there, if you put that in your inner linear Bible, the Greek word there is not theos. Or Elohim or any it is the Greek word Christos. We translate Christ. So he said faith comes by hearing the word about Christ. Hallelujah. So when I started discovering what Christ had done in my life, hallelujah, not just for me, but as me, see, even when the death angel passed through uh, Egypt's land, and God said, I'm going to smite every, uh, the, uh, the firstborn of Egypt, which really was not just a random act. What God was doing was smiting every god that they worshipped. And their firstborn was a god to them. See, it wasn't random acts. He didn't, he didn't just kill cows because he don't like cows. They would worship cows. He didn't just uh, bring flies because, but Beelzebub was the Lord of the flies. In other words, God rolled up his sleeve and said, everything you've ever worshipped or will worship, I'm going to whip it when I leave here. Hallelujah. You're going to see that I delivered you and whipped every God you've ever worshipped, and I did that with my right hand and my holy arm. Come on, somebody. When I think about his right hand and his holy arm, I think about the arm and hammer bacon soda box where God rolls up his sleeve and says, I've been working out. What do you think about that? So when God says, uh, he stretches out his arm, but here's what I heard the Holy Ghost say to me. He said, I whipped all of those Egyptian gods. And I did it with one hand tied behind my back. He said to me a number of years ago, you've only seen my right hand and my right arm. I said, Lord, that's, that's pretty powerful. He said, I did all that with my one hand tied behind my back. I said, that's pretty phenomenal, Lord. He said, what do you think would happen if my whole body ever got involved? You didn't hear what I just said. What do you think would happen if my whole body? Come on, body of Christ. If I did all of that with my right hand and my holy arm, just think what would happen if my whole body ever got involved. See, I believe see, that's one of the things I'm headed for in this text. Is when you look beyond the realm of the earth, you're going to begin to see that you're not just here to endure 70, 80 years in misery. Then one of these days you can be happy. You're going to get a glimpse into the heavens and realize I was born to do something great. Hallelujah. 
I was born to reign. I, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I believe the moment you begin to pick yourself up out of the realm of the dust, you'll you start seeing God as... I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.